Hello and welcome to a new season of Minis Junction with me, Anne-Marie Vassana. As always in this podcast, we'll be looking at different stories and issues that shed light on the Middle East. And this first season's edition is no exception. At the start of September, I attended France's largest photojournalism festival called the Visa pour l'image. There, photojournalists from all over the world had on display their photos from recent assignments or projects they have been working on. And one in particular caught my eye. It was called The End of the Caliphate. It was like just they pressed a button. Everything changed. And in two days, they issued the orders, I mean, a list of, if you do this, this will happen to you. Uh, and they started to publicly execute people behave people in the street, arresting more people, imposing more rules, and taking Mosul back to the Middle Ages. Like, if you don't go to the mosque during the prayer, you'll be lashed in the street. Uh, we began to see women being stoned in the street, as they say, committing adultery. People were thrown down from high buildings from the LGBT community. I mean, this is like, I don't know if, if this already happened in the Middle Ages this way, but we are, we are not in the Middle Ages. That's Omar Mohammed speaking about life under the Islamic State Armed Group, the self-proclaimed caliphate that took over Mosul in June 2014. He spoke about his experience living under IS or ISIS to some in February's episode in 2018. But all that changed in October 2016 when Iraqi special forces launched an operation to liberate Mosul. In July 2017, that operation was deemed a success and 36-year-old Irish photojournalist Ivor Prickett saw it all through the lens of his camera. I was already there freelancing for, you know, different organizations, doing my work, trying to find a way to to stay there and work there. He had gone there to freelance with a focus on humanitarian stories. As the conflict developed, I realized that the real kind of humanitarian crisis was happening inside, like right, you know, behind the front line where people were caught in the middle of this fighting. Yeah, you could see them fleeing further down the line, but a lot of people were staying inside Mosul. You know, they weren't fleeing. So I really started to realize that I had to get to that point, if I really wanted to tell the story, the humanitarian, you know, story. Yeah, that's how I ended up probing further inside. Knowing that IS is one of the most feared and deadly terrorist groups out there, one has to wonder, what makes a person, especially one not from that region, decide to stay and probe further inside, as he says? I think... There's a certain fascination in um, being in those environments, and you know, I definitely have that. And like, if you don't have that that interest and fascination, then you're never going to end up there. But I wouldn't say it's like a, an addiction for me. Um, it's more just what I realized from a very kind of early stage in my 
you know, photojournalism career, that that's what I was interested in. In the case of Ivor, those environments began in the Balkans years after the Bosnian War had ended. You know, you're inherently kind of studying photographers of recent years gone by. The Balkans was, you know, it was very present in the early 2000s, you know. And so that's how I ended up being drawn to that. And it just has kind of, you know, evolved from there. Um, and I've realized that I'm quite good at it, you know, quite good at, at um, conveying people's stories, whether it's 10 years after the fact or, you know, immediately as it's happening. But switching over from long-term projects to breaking news, such as the front lines of the Iraqi operation to take back Mosul, requires a different set of skills. Um, but I found that I still could somehow, you know, and like still could bring that kind of level of empathy that I seem to be able to convey in, in pictures where I'd spent time with people, even in a fleeting moment. Um, not to the same extent, but somehow still a bit. And I think it's just because of the way I learned photography. As Ivor explained, his willingness to connect the people on a level of empathy explains how he has been able to tell their stories through photos. There has to be some connection to the subject, otherwise there's no story to tell. And working in the Middle East, while trying at times, gives him that access to people. It is hard in, in some ways, in some, you know, in some situations, but actually, on the whole, I find it far easier working there than I do working in Europe or working back home in you know, the UK or Ireland. People are much more open you know, and willing to kind of let you into their home or you know, to take their picture at all. You know? like, I think we have a lot more kind of personal barriers and sensitivities towards photography in the West than, than people do in, you know, in the Middle East. Connecting through empathy. It sounds a bit abstract, but when you look at the photos taken by Ivor, it does begin to make sense. Empathy, dignity, uh, even when people are at their worst, you know, like even the, the picture of the ISIS, you know, the ISIS fighter, when they're lifting him out of, of the rubble, in some ways that's still quite a sympathetic picture towards him. You know, he looks, he looks broken and, and fragile, and, and that troubled me in a way because he was part of a, a terrorist organization that had brought that, you know, brought that part of the world to its knees and, and killed thousands of people. So, but, you know, for me at that moment, he was still just a, a young you know, a young man, the same age as me, and yeah, and I felt sorry for him. I remember just feeling sorry for him, um, and that was weird. That was jarring. Now, the photo he's referring to is one of a young man, a fighter with IS, who is being carried out by Iraqi special forces. His hand clutches the hand of one of the soldiers, and he looks frail and pale, especially against the background of destroyed buildings. Uh, a young guy, he's like the same age as me, 36 at the time, and from Mosul. And was yeah, was like yeah, I was I was with ISIS, um, badly injured. He'd been hit in the hip with something, some shrapnel, like a week before. So he was really sick and needed a doctor. And he was just asking, you know, to be brought to a doctor. And he said like, um, uh, I give up, you know, I just I want to be taken to a doctor. And the guys were like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you to a doctor. And they dragged him out. And you know, it was really. <laughs> It's just very surreal, the whole thing, because um, it was very rare to see uh, an ISIS 
self, you know, professed, self-claimed uh, ISIS fighter still alive. We saw a lot of dead ISIS members, but um, very few alive. And it was very, <coughs> very hard to uh, get into the situation to, to be able to take this picture as well. As we walk around the gallery, I ask about another photo that shows a woman standing at her doorstep that has blood splattered on it, screaming while her arms are stretched out in front of her, questioning the situation. It was obviously a, a really um, highly charged emotive situation where um, this woman had just lost her, her son in an ISIS mortar attack that had targeted, I think, had targeted this aid distribution that was going on on the street outside their house. And he was standing on the, you know, on the pavement outside their house and just happened to be hit by shrapnel from the, from the blast. And we were nearby, like 100 meters away, so came on the scene soon afterwards. And the security guy who was with me, who's also a medic, um, unbeknownst to us at the time, tried to help her son who was brought out onto the street tried to help him but he was you know he was just really badly injured with uh, multiple shrapnel wounds in his chest and he you know he died on the way to the first aid station two minutes after that he bled out so and this was the moment that i was kind of brought into the courtyard of the house to to hear because she was just screaming and screaming and we were like wondering what was going on and her her relatives like took me by the arm and brought me into the courtyard and you know i just saw this scene of of blood on the on the steps and that's you know that's his scar from one of his sandals that were left behind after he was taken away and and you know was already dead at that point and that's probably one of the uh i don't know who the boy is but one of the you know younger kids in in the house who's you know seeing the scene on the doorstep and she's screaming but like a lot of people kind of thought that it looked like she was screaming at me and asking me why I'm taking the picture, but it wasn't that at all. It was, she just, this is what mourning is like in Iraq. It's very, uh, like a very outward gesture, you know, so it's like she's screaming at the situation. She's screaming at ISIS. She's screaming at the Iraqi soldiers, you know, like that, why has this happened, you know? In a situation like that, a moment when the photographer clearly has stepped into a very intimate situation, I asked Givor if his initial instinct was to comfort her rather than photograph her. It's really tough. And, you know, my natural instinct in a situation like that is, is not to take a picture, you know, and just, like, say sorry and, and kind of hang my head in shame because there's nothing I can do about it. But I, I knew and I know from working in these kind of situations and, and particularly in this region that if you're there, that's your job. That's inherently your job if you're there, but like that's what people want you to do as well. And so I was being asked, let's say, to, to take this picture because I was the only foreign journalist there. There were some other local uh, reporters there, but I was definitely the only foreign journalist there. So, you know, that's a huge responsibility in a way, and that's what they, that's what they were obviously realizing, you know. Especially in Middle Eastern culture, witnessing such an intimate moment of a woman is not always easy. There are obviously cultural barriers that, you know, make certain situations difficult as a man. You know, I can't just walk into uh, anyone's home and, and photograph freely because of, you know, the cultural sensitivities around um, strange men, you know, 
being around your women folk. But in this case, he was able to capture that moment, and in doing so, tell the story of another woman who lost her son to the crossfire fighting between IS and the Iraqi army. As the army moved deeper into the neighborhoods, Ivor began to witness people's reactions to what was going on. These are the people living in Mosul, much like Omar, whom we met earlier on, who had no choice in what was going on. First, IS came in, imposed their rule, and then the Iraqi army fought back to push them out. And throughout it all, the people, the day-to-day activities of the neighborhood, tried in vain to carry on living their lives. You know, it was really interesting as the Iraqi soldiers would move into an area, people just slowly start coming out of their houses and opening their gates and peering out and checking, you know, who it was. And then they would come out and start kissing the soldiers. And the one thing I noticed was that everyone was like just pale, you know, just completely white, having not seen the sun in in weeks because they'd just been cowering inside because the fighting was so intense. Yeah. All of his photos, many of which were used by the New York Times in a special edition about the end of the caliphate, capture a moment in which questions beget a story. Towards the end of one wall, I see a photo of a woman, perhaps old, perhaps not, but she slumped over with her eyes closed. She appears to be sleeping. Her black abaya is open and we see her colored robes underneath, turquoise and blue. In her hand, she clutches a rag. Her head is laying down on a mess of burnt hoses and debris and to her right is a young boy, about 11 years old. He's leaning back on a wall while sitting down beside her amongst the debris. Both of them have ash-covered feet. They've clearly been walking or were caught in something. Were they just caught in an air raid? Did they just flee to safety? Or have they been living like this for some time now? Where is their family? These are questions that the power of a lens can bring up in which the photographer, in this case Ivor, can answer through interacting with the subjects. And in the case of what the Iraqi people in Mosul lived through, one photo can tell the story louder than words can of the fear, the horrors and the courage that many of the people lived through. That's it for this edition of Midi's Junction. A special thanks to Michael Fitzpatrick for his help in editing. Join me next month for another look at the region. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe to Midi's Junction on your favorite platform. You can listen to previous episodes or even be notified when the latest one drops. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be with you again next month. Music